This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the Manly Warthog Man Cave. Man Cave. Boy, I just like the way that sounds. It resonates. Yes, in the piney woods of North Central Florida, in God's country. And of course, we're supported by Melvin Law. We're in the Melvin Law studio, therefore. And they are the only official law firm partner of the University of Florida Gator. And protected 24-7, 365 by crime prevention, locally owned, monitored. That's what I advise you do. And all of our great advertisers, and all of you who support us now and then with a little nudge, and we are very, very grateful. On-spot cleaners, patronize them. They are the best. Uh, we've got Brenda Dolwick, Larry Nagel, Ken Hillier, early class today. Well, the line is open. Uh, it's free, okay? We pay for the line. I pay for the line. We open it up on a Friday. You may call in and maybe give us a, a tip or, you know, a piece of advice or something to keep us, uh, you know, our heads on straight here. There seems to be so few heads on straight. And I call Friday odds and ends. There's so many odd things that are going on in the world any given moment that don't seem to fit in anywhere. Um I've got a collection of them here. I don't know what to say. Let me see here. I don't even know where to start. Um, this seems odd to me. And it's a big deal. This is not some little story. I don't know if you've been paying attention to this. <clears throat> Those of you who have a life, uh, why would you? I mean, there are many, many better things to do than keep track of what's going on in Yemen, of all places. <clears throat> you probably don't even know where Yemen is. And uh, if you do, uh, don't let me insult you. But a lot of people don't. And I'm going to use myself as an example. Years ago, when my father-in-law was still alive, he was an overseas contractor, and he spent most of his career working overseas and going into countries that the only way I know to say it is we would do things for them in hopes that they would be loyal to us. And so we build a water treatment plant or we build this, that, one, another. Maybe we build a king's palace. When I say we, I mean, an American-owned company. Uh, 
with a, a lot of participation on the financial end from the American government in hopes that this would get people to remember what great folks we are. Now, I'm sure you've probably heard of this type of phenomenon before. Well, <clears throat> my father-in-law, who had been all over the place, from Bolivia to Saudi Arabia to Lebanon to, Lebanon, to Jordan, and he was, had been a Marine, and he was a civil engineer. What better combination could you have? And for going into tough places. And I knew he was getting ready to retire, but he had one last job that he wanted to see through to the end. It was in Yemen. And I didn't know where Yemen was. And there was a North Yemen. And there was a South Yemen. And If you think about that, a North Korea and a South Korea, you get the picture. There was a North and a South in the United States. So you can safely assume that those two governments are different. Why else would they call one, call itself North and one call itself South. And sure enough, in Yemen, I think Qaddafi was still around these days. <clears throat> Yemen North was Kami. And Yemen South, well, I don't know what you'd call it, democratic, I guess. But we wanted it to be. So, somehow, some way, my father-in-law's company got the contract to build an agricultural, as I remember it, pretty close now, an agricultural college in South Yemen. Now, the point of this, I suppose, would be that, by example, you, the individual, making a choice between a commie government and a democratic government, would just naturally pick the democratic government, particularly if you had a brand spanking new Agricultural college. Gifted practically by the United States of America. Whose support would you rather have? The United States of America or whoever the commie backbone is? Would be the obvious Decision. So my father-in-law, things are getting just a little bit touchy in Yemen. And I have to imagine it from his point of view. 
Because as he traveled for a decade or two and all over the world, he always took his family with him. It was safe. But he sent the family home on this one and was there by himself seeing this job through to completion. Yemen. South Yemen. I don't think I got them backwards, by the way. I don't, you know, so let's just keep it north and south. You're going to get the point of the story anyway. Well, one day, stateside, we get news that the United States government, in the form of Marine Corps, has come along and said to my father-in-law, it's time you got out of here. We're going to take you out of here now. It ain't safe to stay around here and complete this job, even though you almost got it completed. And by that, we mean a college. We mean a college now with classrooms and arcades and a purpose, a mission. And he is literally spirited out of that country, down dusty roads, in a four-wheel drive Jeep, and he retires. From time to time thereafter, we would bring up, or I would, somehow it'd come up, the subject of whatever happened to the agricultural college. Well, would this surprise you? It never was a college. It never, with our, our presence, our influence, our example, became a college. What had become of it? Well, it had cows, indeed, but it become a, the classrooms were barns, barn lots, not books. Well, I've never forgotten that story. I don't keep it on the front shelf of my mind, but when I saw this article in The Guardian and heard about it on the news. Who are the Houthis? H-O-U-T-H-I-S. And how did the U.S. and U.K. strikes on Yemen come about? Well, I got to tell you, I know how it came about. We never finished that college. so to speak, and there's a lot of truth to that. So now, the Houthis are Iranian-backed. They're launching persistent campaign drone and missile attacks on commercial ships in the Red Sea. 
They are a Yemeni militia group named after their founder, Hussein Badridden al-Houthi. They represent a Zayda branch of Shia Islam. They emerged in the 1980s in opposition to Saudi Arabia's religious influence in Yemen. Now, all of a sudden, I saw 1980. That calculation is about when the Marines came along and said to my father-in-law, you need to get out of here now. So my point is, the old warthog here brings a historical depth to this article, which you would not have access to that depth without me sharing with you story story time, which is all I think this show is about, by the way, is story time. And the story is, what happens when our way of life, we're not there as a model, what does it become? Well, this is, this is a great image. An agricultural college becomes a stockyard. That intended to be classrooms becomes cattle pens. So this bunch estimated 20,000 fighters runs most of the west coast of the country and is in charge of the Red Sea coastline. I got to stop and ask you a question. Is this effective? Us trying to buy their loyalty. That's what we're doing. We're footing the bill We're footing the bill, you and I, for a college that's never going to be a college. And there are examples of this all over the world. He built in an island somewhere in a body of water, I can't remember where it was, a desalinization plant. It never was used. A follow-up bill of desalinization, it was never used. Why? Because he said all they had to do was come along at 8 a.m. and open a valve and come along at 8 p.m. and close the valve. They didn't wear watches. They didn't know 8 a.m. from the moon. Caliber coffin. They didn't know it from the moon. And so guess what happened to the desalinization plan? Ain't working. Meanwhile, 
the Houthis, backed by Iran, and let's go back. I'm going to get into this whole notion, idea, I meant to cover yesterday, called strategic, I can't remember now, compliance, or, and the strategic ambiguity. So these Houthis are backed by Iran. They have a long-standing hostility with Saudi Arabia. They're supporting Hamas. They are probably keeping their livestock in the college. Meanwhile, the Red Sea is one of the world's most densely packed shipping channels. It's south of the Suez Canal. It is the most significant waterway connecting Europe to Asia and East Africa. And Yemen is situated right along the sea's southeast coast where it meets the Gulf of Aden. And what are these people doing? Multiple attacks on vessels coming through there. Mostly without success. But here's the kicker. Many shipping companies have decided to bypass the Red Sea and divert around South Africa's Cape of Good Hope. Now, this adds significant time and cost to that which they're carrying. And you can bet if it's carrying something we use on this end, it's added that cost to what we pay for it. Now, we're going to be left in position. We're going to have to ramp it up. On January 9th, the U.S. and British warships shot down 21 drones and missiles fired by the Houthis in what London called the largest such attack in the area. Now, this whole world there is hopelessly discombobulated by affiliations with different religious, how should we say it, groups or views. It is not anywhere near ending because are they ever going to go to a college classroom to sit down in a way that civilized people do, read books, reason through why they they don't get along and work out their differences? It doesn't look like it. Meanwhile, it also looks like there's no alpha dog in that area. The Saudis, Iran, 
you know, looking back on it, you understand what Saddam Hussein realized. They're going to be the alpha dog, and I'm going to be the alpha dog. And he was. He kept these other nations intimidated in that area. We destabilized all that. weird. So that's what is running around in my head when the word Yemen is brought up and the Red Sea and the other thing that comes around in my head is when I was still in the classroom I had a student from Turkey very bright lady older lady and she used to tell me, because I would learn as much from her as she was learning from the course, because we would sit down and talk about these issues, that the reason it's always going to be unsettled in that area of the world, that Middle East area, too many males, young males, with nothing to do. They don't go to college. They have a very strong male-dominated society. So they don't have any women to checkmate them to make sure they act civilized. Because all civilization of males is done by women. You may not agree with that, but you think about it. You think about it. If you don't, you know, call in if you got another view. We got an open line now. We got an open line. Now that is odd to me. And throw into this Hamas, Israelis, Lebanese. Throw into this, and the Iranians are not dumb. At the college, when all the intellectuals got run out of Iran, they came to our colleges. We had professors on our staff, and they were incredibly smart, especially in mathematics. That was their forte. Very bright people, Iranians. But the smart ones got out. North Yemen, South Yemen. You tell me. Ted Yoho and I discussed on Wednesday his article on Taiwan. We put that article on Ward's Hot Bulletin Board. Yesterday, the Washington Times printed that article, and we're going to put the link to that Washington Times version right there next to the version we had before. Do you understand what we're saying here now? We had that article before a national paper and discussed it with you. 
a day before it was ever out there for the nation to see. And Taiwan is another spot, but Taiwan has things going for it that Yemen doesn't. Taiwan inhabitants are very smart, are very prosperous, and tomorrow they're having an election. And tomorrow, on the other side of the world, maybe today or whatever. And we'll see how it comes out. China doesn't like this. And so far, China has been hands-off. And these candidates, the New York Times has an article about it, play the friendship with China in different ways in order to figure out what the best way is to navigate, literally, those troubled waters in that area of the world. Because China is a major theme there. And the theme this year with China sounds more like a civilized culture than Yemen. High housing prices, income increases, younger disillusioned voters. If there's any silver lining in that situation, it's that we have some ground there to talk. We know by that, I mean, United States voters know about young voters, not quite with it yet, because we're young. We know about housing prices. We know about taxes and income. So the discussions that we could share, you would think, with the Taiwan and the China are more common to all three entities. We tried to find something about Yemen that would be in common, and it was cattle. an agricultural college. And that flopped. So I find that very interesting and odd also. And I pass that along to you. Is there any middle ground in the Middle East? I don't, I don't know. I, it doesn't look like it to me. Is there middle ground in Taiwan, China? I'm a little more hopeful there. I think it's possible. Given the fact that you're dealing with a country that has 
organized itself around institutions not dissimilar from ours, although participated in differently. We're going to take a break right now. We've got an open line, open line here for discussion. Be right back on the Ward Scott Bob with Ward's weather. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. The warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! All right, welcome back to Ward's Weather, brought to you by Lewis Oil Chevron Gas Station's Fossil Fuel. Wonderful supporters of the Ward Scott Files. Let me tell you, we had some bad weather last week. The country, as well as South, getting ready to get it again. I'm looking at the radar. It's in its 50s right now, high 50s, going up to low 70s here. That's not the story. We're going to get some real, in fact, they use a word here that I don't usually see. The country is getting ready to be thrashed, thrashed by a blizzard. And uh, already had a guy killed 
and an avalanche in the Tahoe area. I'm looking at the screen rolling here. Following this will be, in our area, bitterly cold weather, if it comes true the way they say it's going to. It's going to be wrap your pipe weather. We'll see. As we get closer to that, we'll report on it. Um, going to be ferocious blizzard conditions in Chicago, blizzards in Buffalo. The game with Kansas City and the Miami Dolphins is predicted to be one of those, one of the coldest playoff games. And, buddy, they've been some cold ones. I remember the Packers and the Cowboys. Uh, they've been some cold ones. So we'll see. That's about all I got for. I'm just checking to see what else we're getting. Okay, we've been talking about odds and ends. And during the break, my wife came into the studio here and heated the coffee and said, I remember Yemen perfectly. That absolutely. Now that's been, now I'm an old man, see, this is 2024. That was 40 years ago. Can you believe that? 40 years ago. So everything else may be falling apart, but so far my brain hasn't, huh? At least to that extent. So I had that pretty well right. And it's always amazed me that we keep doing this. We keep going out and trying to buy our way into being liked. Um, Quite a story, quite a story, quite a story. I ran across this. I'm going to spend a little time, I guess. I didn't think it was possible. I didn't think it was possible. This is in the Yahoo Sports Report. Now, we know at least from our perspective as Florida Gators, what Florida State is. From the Florida Gator point of view, Florida State's an imposter. They're not a real football school. They're not real football players. Florida is. And then it looks like the nation kind of feels the same way because the NCAA or whatever, the powers that be, decided even though they were undefeated, they didn't deserve to be in the Final Four, so they go down to the Miami Orange Bowl and get the snot beat out of them by Georgia. 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 Got nothing to win from it. FSU's got nothing to win from it. And now, this came out yesterday. I get this. I didn't think this was possible. And, and correct me if I'm wrong. One of you out there who knows more about the Florida State has been ordered to disassociate with an NIL collective 
representative after NIL-related recruiting violations. I read that and I said, something doesn't add up here. First of all, I didn't know you could get a recruiting violation now that we have name, image, and likeness. And then I read it again. There's a collective representative. So then that intrigued me. I thought, well, nothing wrong with NIL. Nothing wrong with the collective. Except you're going to have unscrupulous, unethical people in the collective. I never heard of such. I thought a collective by definition was unethical and unscrupulous. Now, the point by Ross Dellinger, who's writing about this, he believes that 30 months into this chaos about name, image, and likeness, the the NCAA is finally dropping the hammer because the association is leveling significant penalties on Florida State football, one of its NIL collectives, and a booster as well as an assistant coach for NIL-related recruiting violations in the most serious and unprecedented sanctions handed down in the first two and a half years of NIL. So writes Ross Dellinger in Yahoo Sports. He further writes that multiple sources with knowledge of the decision and penalties spoke to Yahoo Sports under condition of anonymity. Now that's really, that's really something. I'm going to take a sip of calorie coffee on that. Here you've got, see if I can straighten this out. Here you've got a shadowy organization. How do you like that? A murky organization known as NIL. Collective. Collects money to pay guys. Be their players. That's what it is. It's a, it's a bank. And now, somebody's going to go in there and find something they did wrong in that bank. I thought the whole thing was wrong from the beginning. Anyway, it turns out that these sanctions, according to Dellinger, are wide-ranging, and here's what they go they come down to. And I've got to check this out after the show. This is so I'm so curious about this. Are tied to a spring 2022 recruiting event and are part of a resolution negotiated between the school and NCAA. My God, it sounds like Hunter Hunter Biden showed up there. Could be so bad. But here's what Dellinger writes. I don't have a drum roll. We play it. A Florida State assistant coach, offensive coordinator Alex Atkins, was found to have committed two level two violations, 
which include impermissible recruiting activity. That's a new one. I didn't think there there was any such thing. And facilitating impermissible contact with NIL-related booster. That I could see. The booster wants a firewall between him, his money, and the person the money is going to buy. So he, he, he hires a, or they have in the collective, that firewall, I guess in the form of a coach, which is weird. I would have made it a third party. I wouldn't have made it, I wouldn't have made it one of the coaches. The whole thing would be sitting over on the side. At any rate, during that meeting, according to the NCAA, the booster encouraged the prospect to enroll at Florida State and offered him an NIL opportunity with the collective, get this now, worth approximately $15,000 per month during his first year at the school. Hello. I have no idea. 15000 a month might be perfectly normal. But, oh, well, apparently $15,000 a month caught somebody's attention. So as part of the penalties, this guy Atkins is going to be suspended the first three games of the 2024 regular season and is given a two-year show clause. And a show clause requires schools who hire Atkins to explain the decision to NCAA officials. So Atkins are out to get. Dellinger writes that this is the first of its kind penalty in the NIL era. The school, FSU, must disassociate with the NIL collective representative for a term of three years. I don't know who came up with that. Let me read that again. With the NIL collective representative. Okay, that's just one guy. The school must also dissociate from the NIL collective for one year. That's the whole bank. And I don't know if they got more than one class. They may have more. So they just go to another. I don't know. As part of the disassociation, FSU cannot accept assistance from the collective. And the collective cannot contribute to the athletic program in any way. However, the collective is free to continue working with FSU athletes on NIL. Ah, ah, they cut the school out of it. I'm going to have to have an expert come in here and explain this a little bit further to me. I say, I don't understand how it all works. If anybody understands, well, give me a holler. So what it looks like has happened under the new right and wrong 
the school can't get its hands dirty. But a collective, which is a bank, a go-between between the athlete and the program, can directly associate with either one. Either one. Now, there's some other penalties that Dellinger says were confirmed by the NCAA yesterday. God, there's a list of them here, half a page long. Two years of probation. Two years of probation for FSU? Get this. Scholarship reductions. Scholarship reductions of 5% over the next two academic years. That's quite a few. A reduction by seven in official recruiting visits for 2023-24. Let me intrigue here. A prohibition on recruiting communication for six weeks over the next two academic years, including this next week of January 12th through the 18th. And I'm looking at it, and that's our date. So that's that's now. A prohibition on communication with athletes in the transfer portal from April 15th to 20th. My God, how can they compete? FSU, everybody else be getting these guys. Weird. A reduction by 18 evaluation days this spring. A financial penalty of 1% of the athletic department's budget. What? 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 What's going on here? I I mean, furthermore, Dellinger writes, and I'm reading, the NCAA's rules are murky when it comes to NILs. The association only has an interim NIL policy that provides guidance to programs, a policy that is under continuous change. In fact, Dellinger writes the organization adopted new guidance just this week around NIL. But the changes are not retroactively applied. And then Dellinger writes, so the dates are right. I thought it'd be a trick on this article. The Seminoles were the first undefeated Power Five champion to be left out of the college football playoff. 
this past season. This ignited a backlash from Florida politicians and legal challenges. Uh, Two weeks after this happened, FSU filed a lawsuit challenging the ACC's grant of rights. And they're going to try to get out of the ACC conference. Meanwhile, and this is the first I heard of this. I, I, I can't believe this. I can't believe this. Mike Norval, FSU's coach, is believed to be a serious candidate for Saban's job. Are you kidding me? Somebody named Mark Hicks, who is the NCAA Enforcement Managing Director for Development, told a group of administrators that the association, that's the NCAA, is focused on tampering and inducements related to NIL, and that they have proof that recruiting rules are being violated. I didn't think there were any. Coaches, so writes Dellinger, are reaching out to high school coaches of college players and having them be intermediaries, saying, if you go to Johnny and ask him to get in the portal, portal, if you go to Johnny and ask him to get in the portal, we'll be interested in him. And the athletes are doing it as well. So if I know you, I go to you and I say, hey, man, you need to jump in this portal with me. NCAA officials are learning of new ways that universities are inducing athletes to their campus, including, I don't know why they're so surprised, including, let me listen to this, including offering a combination of cash, an apartment lease, a vehicle, and transportation for family members to visit campus. Well, hello. And then the conclusion, this article says, there are a lot more cases, but they're not pursued because the NCAA has a lack of evidence. God, I'm right. I've got to look that up. That is amazing. That is amazing. Hapless FSU. Don't you think? 
there's a little story going on that I'm not going to make much of, but it has big implications. I'm sure you're aware that when you go to vote, you go into a building that could be a school building, normally, could be a county building, could be a church. Well, these buildings are used as precincts. Well, we've known about this story for quite a while. But now it's reached the, uh, the point of where there's actually going to be depositions. Kim Barton, supervisor of elections, at the Gateway Christian Center, tripped over a piece of carpet or something like that and injured her ankle or foot or something. And is now going to the court of the 8th Judicial Circuit and suing the church. As I understand it. And we have the fact that the depositions are going to be going on. I think a pastor there is in his 90s. I, I don't know what the... It's, it's interesting. Isn't it? All the people who go in these facilities, who take it for granted... All the people who allow those people to come in the facilities that we're doing the wholesome American thing here, offering our facilities for you to vote in. But what if you trip? I never thought of that before. But Kim Barton has. Kim Barton has thought of it. So we've known about it for a while. Just haven't said anything about it. I don't know what would become of it. But it raises some interesting implications. And we'll see how this winds up. It's the first such case of this that I'm aware of. Or a supervisor of elections who obviously okayed that place or somebody working for her okayed the use of that place then turns around and sues that place or something she tripped on. I don't know. I don't know. Odds and ends, right. To include on this, it should not surprise you at all a study has found that just 3.4% of American journalists are Republicans. Does that surprise you? Syracuse University's Newhouse School of Public Communications found that just 3.4% of American journalists are Republicans. Oh. There you go. There you go. Gallup poll in November 
shows that newsrooms are wildly out of step with the general public. Hello, we know that. We know that, don't we? Well, that's about all I got. It's really odd. Really odd. Odds and ends. Appreciate you being a viewer and listener of the Ward Scott Files. We've got really good numbers. And we appreciate you spreading the word. We don't advertise. You know, I can't afford a bus wrap. Can't afford a billboard. We just got to kind of let people know we're out there. And worth listening to. On the other hand, we appreciate all the advertisers and support we get from our people who support us. I want to thank production. Production is really good. Smooth, as smooth as honey out of a jar. Way to go, Zach. Been great working with you. Have a great weekend. Warthog Command Center out.